We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. My voice is lost to some extent, horse. I was at the stadium tonight, went with my brother. First game we got to go to since last season. And there were moments where both of us lost our cool in the stands. I admit it. I feel embarrassed about it. Um, for me, it wasn't until the two-minute drill the Giants ran where Daniel Jones almost threw his first pick six of the game, where he just threw that little short throw in the two-minute drill. They're still sitting. They're still driving. They're still not even worried. It's a two-minute drill. You would think a defense would be worried about something downfield. There's a minute 30 left, but nope, driving at the sticks. I think it was the second down throw. Nearly picked, dropped by the Seahawks D-back. I lost my mind on that play. I just couldn't believe we were throwing short to the sticks in the two-minute drill. Um, You know, my brother had some frustrations as well. It was a tough night to be at the stadium. Nick, I'm curious to get your take on this, just because I haven't been to a game since the Colts game, and I know you went to a game in Arizona earlier this year. You really see a lot when you're watching a game from the stadium, especially in the 300 tier, which I'm in, which to me is I actually like better than the, I like it way better than the low tier. I hate the low tier, especially low tier end zone. But when you're watching a game from a 300 tier, it looks a lot different than the broadcast and the all 22. Like some of the things that I saw did not vibe with what people saw on Twitter. People are going off on me. And, you know, Nick, it didn't look good. It did not look good for my from me. It, it didn't look great like, on the television either. Yeah, but I think on the television, and I'll have to watch the tape. I think on the television, it probably looks like it was more the offensive line's fault than anything else. Um, from the stadium, it looked a little different, in my opinion, at least. And I think other people I talked to were at the game. But obviously, the old line was a major issue here. But I just want to take a step back and just consider to start this thing, Nick. I want to take a step back, and then I'm going to turn this over to you so I can tweet this out and stuff. And I hope you tweet it as well. But I want to take a step back and just consider how we're here. The Giants are one in three, helpless loss against the Seahawks. They turned a team that was third worst in EPA as a pass defense into the 86 Bears tonight. They turned a team that got no pressure from what I saw against really the Panthers when it mattered, a few plays here and there. No pressure in the first three weeks by the numbers. And tonight they had, what, 11 sacks in this game? Pressure all game. It, you know, it's like, Every time I feel like the Giants make these additions in the offseason, Darren Waller, Kenny Galladay, why are we the team that it always has to happen to? Like, these guys are getting nothing. We're getting nothing out of them. Darren Waller, zero catches, blah, blah, blah. Kenny it's like, why does this happen every time? I can't believe this team had added all these pieces 
went all in to the extent of pushing back Daniel Jones's contract. At first, when they signed it, they could get out of it in 2025. They can still get out of it in 2025 now, but it's going to cost them more. So they have to push some of that back. They push back Andrew Thomas' contract. They push back Dexter's contract. They restructure all of those before the season to create cap space to go all in and add players like Ashawn Robinson and all these other guys they added to the mix, including Darren Waller, who they traded for. And yet with all the personnel changes, they're a much worse team than they were last season. And I'm having a tough time, Nick, putting my finger on it. Like, I don't think it's all because of the offensive line. I don't think it's all because of the offensive line injuries. It didn't look like that tonight, and that just doesn't vibe with me. There are teams around the NFL dealing with a lot of O-line injuries and a lot of O-line problems. And Including it's not the like Seattle Seahawks. The, right. The Seahawks had what They lost somebody in this game. They had a banged-up center and two backup offensive tackles. And, like, unless the Giants' offensive line is historically the worst in the history of football, you can't turn a team like the Seahawks, who were horrible as a pass rushing team for four, three weeks, into an amazing pass rushing team if there isn't something else at play. And what is that something else at play? That something else at play is teams are just driving on everything and just not respecting the Giants' pass attack at all and blitzing and sending extra guys and doing whatever they need to to say, I don't care about 90% of the field. All I care about is the 10 yards from the line of scrimmage to the sticks because that's all you ever look to and that's all you ever throw. And when you escape the pocket, his eyes, from my view, were not downfield at any point. They were always to the sticks whenever Jones escapes the pocket. And I know these are bad pockets, but at times you got to stay in the pocket, man. There were two plays, from my view, and I know people saw, saw it differently on TV. Everything looks different on TV. It's faster, maybe. But maybe it's slower, from my view, for a reason. And I don't know, Nick, but it felt like any time you escape that pocket, man, what's going to happen when you escape the pocket? The routes are going to go off timing-wise, right? Everything's going to break down. You're usually not going to be able to complete a pass. And there's just too much of that, I guess. I I don't know, man, but I don't know how this team got to where they're at right now and how they collapsed and became this version. It's just, it's crazy to me. What you just articulated isn't necessarily new. Jones had problems last season throwing deep. It's one of the reasons why the Giants ranked dead last in explosive plays. It wasn't just because Darius Slayton was really their only deep threat. There are other ways to generate offense, and the Giants weren't creating explosive plays at all last year. It was all quick game. It was all get Daniel Jones out on the run. Now defenses have dialed into that, and the Giants, they're one of the most ineffective offenses right now. And one of the main reasons why, yes, the offensive line sucks. Yes, that structure that I just, just discussed is also terrible. But the Giants are falling behind script, and they're finding themselves in these third and long situations to where these defenses can pin their ears back. Remember last year? The Giants had several come from behind victories where they were down 17 to three and they were down 20 to three and they were able to battle back. They did that against Arizona, but against these teams that are really dialed into what Daniel Jones does offensively and what does Giants offense, their capabilities are, you're not coming back because they're pinning their ears back and they're getting after your protection. And if you have Andrew Thomas out, you don't have Saquon Barkley, you don't have that security blanket. It's going to be really damn hard, Dan, for you to get back into football games. The Giants are not constructed that way this season, and they keep finding themselves down multiple scores at halftime. And the Seattle Seahawks in this game, Dan, they wanted the New York Giants to get back into this football game. Yes. They turned over the football on downs on their first drive of the second half, and then they missed a field goal. They were begging the Giants to do something, but what did the Giants respond with? Daniel Jones got sacked twice on that first drive of the second half. The next drive, after that missed field goal, 11 plays, 52 yards, which is so New York Giant. You're picking up like four or five yards of play. And all of it was scrambles. Nothing through the air. Exactly. All of it was scrambles. They're not even looking at Darren Waller. The Giants signed Darren Waller. Why? 
You're not even look, getting any targets to this guy. And maybe Seattle did the same exact thing San Francisco 49ers we'll did. The film, yeah. And they bracketed. We'll have to see. But it didn't even seem like he was a part of the game plan. And he got two, what, garbage time catches at the end of the game. But whatever, dude. This Giants team cannot fall behind like that. Because you can't pass protect. And the Giants just do not throw that second concept. The deeper concept, the Giants don't pull the trigger on that deeper concept. They'll always go to the under route. If it's a smash concept, they're not throwing the seven. They're All throwing right. the curl. That's an issue. When you're high-lowing a defender and you don't throw high, they're going to drive down on the low, and right. that's one of the reasons why we saw Witherspoon pick six. Yeah, you're exactly right. And as Witherspoon Spoon said after the game, I think I tweeted it. Uh, let me find his exact quote, trying to tweet out the link. So for those of you listening, you thank still you. Still didn't get the link tweeted out? <laughs> I got one, but it doesn't look like it was the right link. The, the uh, Witherspoon right. quote is, we knew he liked to stare down his, his first, first target. target. And that's yeah. a play too, Dan, that we've gone over. That's the double China three by one seven route with the number one and the number two running pivots. That's what at least it looked like based on the leverage of the defender. That's a concept that Brian Dable ran in the preseason, his first year as head coach. That's a concept that Daniel Jones threw an interception on to the backside with Saquon Barkley running that wheel route. On the front side of that play, though, it was the double China seven. They ran it against the Patriots as well in the preseason. And it's a solid play in the red zone because you're high-lowing and you're hoping to get Darren Waller on the corner route. And I think that's what Brian Dable was bitching at Daniel Jones about on the sidelines, Dan. It looked like he said something about Waller. And if you look at the leverage of the defender, that deep third defender who was over the top of the number one, I don't remember who the number one receiver was, probably Darius Slayton. He looked like he was sinking down and Darren Waller was going to break over the top of him. The safety who was on Darren Waller had inside leverage. So Waller would have been open if number 27, which I think is Reek Wallen, didn't sink. Now it's difficult to know if he was going to sink or not or uh, drop or not, but Jones decided to pull the trigger on that short route, that shallow route. And Devon Witherspoon took it to the house and made a name for himself on national television. And if you look at this just from a whole, this is why I brought up the Witherspoon quote, Nick, it's two weeks in a row now where, and you don't see this very often. And at some point, yeah, and yeah, Mario says he said you had Waller open and you saw Dable on the sideline. He was visibly frustrated. He threw the tablet um, at that point because, look, in the end, and we'll talk more about this, but despite everything that happened in this game, it was 14-3 and the Giants had a chance to make it 14-11 before Jones threw in a 100-yard pick six. And you can blame the defense if you want, but you'd be idiotic and you wouldn't be watching the actual game because the defense, the Seahawks scored 21 points until garbage time and 14 came from Daniel Jones. That's the fact of the matter. You don't want to blame for the fumble. Don't blame for the fumble. I am. Hold the fucking football. All right. You fumble inside your own 10. Guess what? Every coach, including Brian Dable, is blaming the quarterback for that. Hold the ball, he's going to say, or get rid of the ball. That's what he's going to say. I get it. The pressure was right there. It looked more, it looked like he had more time than on, in my view, but I guess on TV, it looks fast. Whatever. Not the point. Hold the ball. And the pick six, when you're staring down a receiver and after the game, the defending opposing players are saying, we knew he was staring down the receiver and he stares down his first read. We're driving on the ball. And every single, and right before the half, he was almost intercepted as well, which would have been a potential pick six. There were multiple plays, not just this one, but it's a 14-3 game. Score the touchdown. Get it to 14-11. Your defense is doing everything in their power to keep you in this game. We said we wanted the Giants defense to come alive. They came alive on that first drive. The pass rush was coming alive. Kayvon Thibodeau had a nice sack. You know, they had pressure from Dexter Lawrence and Leo almost the whole game against this backup Seattle O-line. But you know what they didn't have? They didn't have pressure like the Seahawks had because the Giants actually had to respect Geno Smith throwing the freaking football and Drew Locke, who all of a sudden has more passing, <laughs> a better passing game than Daniel Jones in this one. How is that possible? It's Drew Locke with no reps with the first team, leading the team down the field. And it's insane to me. And look, 
we have two weeks in a row now, Nick, where opposing defensive players, I don't see this often. Like every Giants fan just shrugged off the fact that 49ers players were like, we knew from the first snap this dude wasn't throwing downfield. We knew from the first, first snap Daniel Jones looked panicked and scared. And guess how he looked from my view and from every single person with two eyes at the stadium. He looked panicked and scared tonight. And I get it. It's not his fault. The O-line sucks. The O-line is a disaster. Listen, it is. I get it. They gave up 11 sacks, but you know a lot of that was garbage time. And some of those get ball has to get out. Let's be honest about the situation. But I know not. I don't know that for a fact. I'll wait and watch the film. I take that comment back, Nick, into the audience because I know people lose their minds over that. But look, this like when you have opposing players talking like this about your quarterback, when does this happen? I don't see this about any other quarterback in the NFL. Why is it us? And why does that not matter to fans? Why do fans just shrug it off and say? Does anyone get sick at some point of just blaming the offensive line for everything? That's my real question here. I'm getting to that, Nick. Does anyone get sick of it at any point? Because your quarterback threw a pick six where he stared down a receiver in a 14-3 game when the defense gave him a shot. That's 100 yards. That's a 14-point swing, potentially 15 if they get the two. And he fumbled inside his own 10, giving a free touchdown. Like, how is that not on the quarterback to some degree? I don't, I don't care. Like you don't want to blame him fully. I'm not either. I'm not blaming Daniel Jones fully for this game. Okay. Even though he did do those two things and Brian Dable was pissed, but you got to give him some blame. It can't just be all the offensive line. It's insanity to me that these people sit on Twitter and they say, no, no, no. Every chapter, every chapter, it's all this. It's not all this. When an offense looks that incompetent against a defense that came in ranked third worst in the NFL and didn't get any pressure in their first three games, essentially. It's on everyone, the coaching, the quarterback, and the offensive line, and the receivers. It's everyone at that point. Though I don't think the receivers really did anything wrong in this game. But everyone at that point deserves some blame, Nick. And that's what I'm getting at. I don't need you to blame Jones completely. I'm not doing that myself. I want to be clear about that. But if you don't give him any blame for this, and you just say, no, nope, but you're the offensive line, when do you get sick of that? When do you get sick of that? Saying that every time. Because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of hearing it. I'm sick of saying it. I'm sick of the point. The O-line didn't throw that 100-yard pick six. The quarterback did. We stared down the receiver and missed Waller. O-line had no, no impact on that play. And that's that. I love the rant, Dan. I don't think there's too many people who are sitting there saying it, not, none of it's on Jones. I've seen some of the biggest Jones stands, if you want to refer to them like that, saying, well, Daniel Jones didn't really play that well. It's like, well, yeah, no shit. If you've been with us and watched our podcast over the last year or two, look, we've stuck up for Jones when he deserved it, but this offense is limited with Daniel Jones. We discussed it in depth every time the Giants play a divisional flow because those defensive coordinators know how to play Jones and they don't respect the field side. I think we had a field side throw to Isaiah Hodgins right. in this game. And you I texted, texted you. Me. You texted <laughs> me. You're like, I can't believe it. We attempted something to the field side. It was like seven yards, but it was something. It was something to the field side. Just make the defense respect that. This offense is limited when the Giants are not going to force the defense every blade of grass. And that means when the ball is on the far hash, all the way outside the numbers on the opposite side of the field. That's what we call the field side. And that is not a place Daniel Jones pulls the trigger to. And that's why you get so many of those cornerbacks on that side squatting on routes from the right. number two, meaning the inner receiver, because that inner receiver usually runs a stick or an out, and then they drive it. And guess what? That happened again. It happened in week one with Trevon Diggs, and everyone was blaming Saquon Barkley. It was Saquon Barkley's fault that there was a pick six. No, that was Daniel Jones's fault for throwing the football to Saquon Barkley with a cornerback squatting, Sitting. saying, right. please throw the football. We saw right. that all last year as well. All right, look, Daniel Jones, you can win with a quarterback like Daniel Jones. I love Billy. I love his toughness. I but you're still limited as an offense if he's not going to uncork the football and if he's not going to challenge each quadrant or each section, I should say, of the football field. And that's just the way it is. 
And in a game like tonight, where your defense comes out and shows out like that, which in my opinion, the Giants defense did, yes, they had one bad drive against Drew Locke. I get it. You have a stupid big play, bad tackling, all those things. Outside of that play, they were fucking lights out in this game. And they even gave him a chance deep into quarter three at 14-3, where they fucking, they, they stopped them on third down, causing that field goal miss. And they had the short field where the Giants went 52 yards, like you said, in 11 plays, basically all just Jones scrambles and Jones design runs because they can't throw the football. And then he throws a pick six where he stares on receiver. Like, that's... <laughs> Come on at that point. Like, I wouldn't be surprised that defenders in that locker room are pissed. And I get it. He's a tough guy. And look, Nick, the, the fucked up thing for me here, and there's a lot of cursing on this spot tonight. We're just going to have to go with that. I'm sorry. It's a bad day. It's a bad night. Do you like my really chalice? I do like your chalice. I don't know. Sweet. Uh, it's like a Game of Thrones type thing. It is a Game of Thrones thing. It has the Giants logo bit. on it. And I was I like, like, hey, that. man, maybe it'll be good luck for the Giants. No. You know what's good luck for the Giants? Me but going to these games, apparently. The Giants. Yeah, no, I, but I have to go up the window. I, I had to, I had a good games last year. I went to the Colts game. That was a win, mm. but that was the last game I went to before this game. And me and my brother were like, you know, it was so fun. We just didn't have a, that was the only time we had a, a win without any worry, like in years and years and decades. And like the fact that we've regressed to this point, Nick, I said all off season that the only way the giants fail this year. And this was my personal opinion because they made so many additions, right? They brought in, um, they brought in John Michael Schmitz who got injured in this game. That sucks. Right. Daniel Bellinger also got injured. I didn't even see that happen. Yeah. I saw that it happened. That freaking sucks. They brought in all these additions. Waller, John Michael Schmitz, Paris Campbell, if you want to call him that. Wondell Robinson looked good tonight. I'm happy he's back. He's like the lone bright spot about the night. But I said the way that this can, the way in my mind that this can fail is if what happened last year was mostly a product of scheme and mostly a product of coaching. Was Dable and Kafka, were Dable and Kafka able to hide the deficiencies that you just went over that Daniel Jones shows at times as a quarterback post snap processing. Was he able to hide it last year? And if he was able to hide that last year, will he still be able to hide it when teams have eight games of film on it or 16 games of film on it and a whole off season to plan for it? And so far the answer has been no. I know the O-line's been bad, but at the same time, you're making a Seattle Seahawks defense that again was third worst in EPA before this game look like the 86 bears. Something has to give at that point. Like, you want to blame the coaching? I don't know what coaching could have done tonight. I got to be honest with you, Nick. Like, what are you going to do? What the hell are you going to do when your quarterback and your O-line are playing like this? I don't know. Because I think in Dable's mind, if he opened that thing up a little bit more, there would have been more pick sixes and more fumbles. More, and more sacks. And yeah, more the, sack. coaching, the coaching, they're in a tough spot. I would say maybe get Darren Waller involved a little bit. Yeah, that that would be how. one thing. Figure out how. Again, we'll have to wait for the film. But I want to go over Jay Paul. Thank you so much. He says, being at the game, play calling sucks. DJ don't got that dog in him when he's flustered. Can't believe our defense played so well and the zero to shit the bed or the offense shit the bed. Agreed. Offense definitely took a big Frank Reynolds doo-doo in the bed. Play calling. Dan and I just kind of went over that a little bit. DJ DJ has toughness. Like, I'll, I'll give him that. But I think he was just rattled. And I think a lot of quarterbacks would be rattled. And I'm not excusing his play because his play is independent from this. But I think a lot of quarterbacks would be rattled if they're getting to the back yes. of their drop and they're getting hit. So I want to at least give them a little bit of credit in, in that department. Jay Paul, thank you again for the donation. But that's independent of the fact that Jones is still a limited quarterback, right? You can be the biggest dog in the world, but if you're not throwing to certain parts of the field, the defense is going to respond and not respect those parts of the field. And that's what we've seen over the last, what would you say, Dan? The, the Colts game and the Minnesota, both the Minnesota games, throw them out the window. If you look at every other defensive coordinator that's played the New York Giants, they are all mimicking what we saw from Jack Del Rio. Yeah. Right. 
They're they're all mimicking it a little bit. And even the Colts did with this Stefan. We're going to see that guys. from Del Rio again this year, by the way, twice. I don't know if the Giants can even win those games at this point, but you're right, Nick. The game, the book is out on the Giants right now. It's don't respect this quarterback at all because in a lot of ways, he doesn't respect what you can do on defense. Like he doesn't respect what you can't do on defense. Like he's not going to challenge the field side. Like you said, he's not going to keep his eyes downfield. In my opinion, Jones from, and thank you, Jay Paul for the donation. You were at the game and I, I'm sad we didn't get a chance to meet up. I didn't get a chance to meet up with a lot of people. I was at a couple tailgates. That was the highlight of the night being at tailgates with my brother yeah. and meeting up with a few giants fans. Shout out Adriana, giant New York giants fan girl and shout out will um, as well. But, that was the highlight of the night. That was the only good thing that happened. Uh, it, was a sick, it was a sickly bad night, unfortunately. And my brother and I felt like the good things were going to happen. We had good vibes. And this is what I'll say to you. You know what? Like, the vibes were great going into that stadium. There was a massive Let's Go Giants chant going up the escalators. The crowd energy was great. The vibes were great. The defense showed up right away, gave every reason to get happy. And the crowd stayed in it. And then they didn't even drop off when Jones nearly threw the pick six before half. There were boos, as they should have been boos. And then when he throws the pick six, yes, it's over. Like, you're not going to expect the crowd to be there for that but the crowd showed up tonight and they even got a false start uh from the Seahawks at one point the crowd got that and I felt like the vibes were great but when the offense is that bad it's hard to keep the vibes up it really is and the defense did everything they could try to but like and and, and we get to this point it's like are we really just going to send all the blame on the offensive line it's insanity to me like there's so many factors that are not working with this offense right now and then yet you see like I'll let you jump in in a second Nick but like you see like I like teams like the Houston Texans right throwing for 300 yards a game with six different offense backup offensive linemen shuffling in and out of that tunsil out for three weeks. The only decent old lineman they had to begin with the guy they drafted in the first round last year out for the season before the season begins and they're throwing downfield. So why can't the giants figure this out? Are tank Dell and Nico Collins, all-star receivers, the greatest in the world. Uh, no, what's happening is CJ Stroud has challenged downfield early and often. He's throwing with anticipation. He's fine. Nico Collins is like 15 plays of 20 plus yards this year. or Something insane like that. And because he's challenging downfield, defenses are playing them differently. They're not sitting on every Texans route. They're playing two safeties hot. They're playing off the ball coverage. But when you don't actually put that on film, whatever the reason is. And again, I want to make it clear. I'm not blaming this game on Daniel Jones, but I am blaming some of it on Daniel Jones. And in my opinion, if you just think this is nothing to do with Jones and nothing to do with the coaching and only the offensive line, then unfortunately, in my opinion, we're going to have to agree to disagree. And I'll never agree with you. And you have no way to pull me onto your side. If you can't find a way to blame the quarterback when he throws a hundred yard pick six, a 15 point swing and fumbles inside his own 10 on a night where the defense only gives up one touchdown other than that, then you have an issue in my opinion with evaluating this team objectively. And I'm just going to be honest about that right now. And I'll move on from that, Nick. I'll let you jump in here. The Giants had 11, and I tweeted this, the Giants had 11 days to prepare for this game. And now they didn't get as healthy as we would like, right? Andrew Thomas, Saquon Barkley, still out. They got Ben Bredesen back. I would say that's a, a pretty big upgrade over what they had to trot out there, although JMS left in the first drive. Terrible. But to me, man, the Giants are night and day from last year's teams in terms of operation, discipline, tackling, and offensive success. All of those key elements of a football team have significantly regressed. The Giants almost have as many missed tackles this year than they did all of last year. They had 31 coming into this game. I'm not sure how many they missed. They missed like three on that Noah Fant play, which was irritating to say the least. But what the hell is going on operationally with the Giants? We're seeing them put 10 guys out on the football field. They're having to right. call, call um, timeouts when it's not typically warranted. 
And then the special teams is just an absolute mess. How many special teams errors happened in this game? Like there are some real coaching issues where the Giants coaching staff, a coaching staff that we felt pretty damn comfortable about not long ago, kind of needs to look in the mirror and say, all right, what the hell do we have to do? Do we have to start possibly doing things that I don't want to necessarily call for? But is that what's needed at this point? Because something is not right with this team. You're right. And that's why, as I said earlier, Nick, this shouldn't be blamed all on Jones and it shouldn't be blamed all on the offensive line. Let's carry over to the next person who deserves the blame, the coaching, right? At some point you have to blame the coaching to some degree. We're not having that edge we used to have on the offensive side of the ball. Like I get it. In my opinion, I'll be honest with you, Nick, it's kind of tough with this offensive line. And I'm just going to say it. I hate to say it, but I have to with this offensive line and the limitations you went over about Jones as a quarterback. I'll just leave it at that for him to scheme up something. In my personal opinion, I don't blame him. And I think he's the long-term answer, Dable. And I guarantee you, if he had Josh Allen in a good offensive line right now, we'd be singing his praises. But, you know, with what they have to work with, you still have to blame them when things like what you just said happen. When they have 10 men on the field like they did last week and all these operational errors, when they're forced to call timeout in the second half and blow a timeout in the second half, right? Like that's another issue. And that doesn't even touch on the individual coaches that sh- that deserve to come under fire. Special teams coach, Thomas McGay, he's been here for years. Why? I don't know. He had one good year by DVOA. His first year was actually like a shocking. The Giants were like top seven in DVOA on special teams. Since then, they're back to the bottom tier. They've been back to the bottom tier with McGahee for years now. And he's still here. He's a nice guy. Dable likes him. Good hard worker. Great. That helps us. On punt returns, I can't even believe how the Giants punt returns are. We have scared punt returning right now. Eric Gray fumbles the first punt return. They're lucky to get it back. And they put a Dory Jackson, the guy they have 100% of the snaps out there on defense. You're 100% snap defender. There's like four guys on defense play 100% of snaps. One of them is now returning punts. He's so scared because he got injured last year that he lets the first punt go by. It rolls for like, seven, for like a 77-yard net punt or whatever the hell that was. They flip the field yeah. completely inside the five. And, and my friend texted me, shout out Andrew. Um, he texted me uh, to have to text him that I said this uh, just in case he, but I think he listens to the reaction once he's like, I think high schoolers can aren't scared to field punts. The giants are literally scared to field punts. Like that's the point to get. So when does McGahee get called in the question now for me? And then Bobby Johnson, man, like, like I said earlier, I don't want to blame Bobby Johnson and go too hard on him. I don't really know what goes into being an offensive line coach. And I don't really know how much of an impact they have on what we see on the field. I think those are things that we would never know. I would never know unless I was an offensive line coach and I was not one. And I know, Nick, you've worked with teams, but I don't know if you have any insight on that. I don't know who's to blame, but at some point when I said what I said to begin with, Nick, which is true, Seahawks defense came in with absolutely basically no pass rush and the third worst pass defense by EPA. And tonight they had 11 sacks and we're in the you know, all day. And at some point, like, okay, do I blame the offensive line coach to some degree? Yeah, I think I have to at some point, right? Like, this is not like, I know the Giants have a lot of backups, but remember, the Seahawks had backups too. Remember, the Texans had a lot of backups too. Remember, there's other teams who have backups. It's not just the Giants with O-line problems right now. So when the O-line looks that historically bad in a night, I guess the coaching serves blame too. It's the only thing I can really lead myself to at this point, Nick. The one person I'm not blaming tonight is Wink Martindale, though. I thought he put together a great game plan. But defense played great. I don't want to hear anything else from anyone on that. Defense gave up one bad play all night. I'm right there with you, man. The special teams muffs, bro. You had the muff punt that you brought up. Just so many dumb penalties. Gary Brightwell just hit DJ Dallas after the play. Cam Brown almost took a penalty. Like, when did they become so undisciplined, this team? Like, we didn't see that necessarily last year with just dumb, selfish penalties that you know Brian Dable, if he had hair, he would be ripping said hair out of his head. But he's a bald guy. So, man, I don't know. I'm um, 
I'm, I can't really speak too much on the, on the Bobby Johnson thing. The one thing I will yeah. say though, is the giants have added a lot of young offensive linemen and they all have not developed. So who do you blame for that? Now, is that a Bobby Johnson thing? Again, I don't, I don't consider myself someone who has the expertise to weigh in on that, but something's got to give at some point, right? Like you have a lot of these young guys. I think some of these, like Josh Azud, I think he's put into a, just a almost impossible situation. You're relying on the fact that this kid is a different type of player in the sense that he can kick outside from guard to tackle. That is not common. And you're starting him for multiple games against some really good defensive linemen and edge rushers at left freaking tackle. That's a tough assignment. And he looked bad. Marcus McKeithen looked bad. They all looked bad in this game. But that goes back to my original point of the podcast too, Dan. You got to keep these games freaking close. You got to put points on the board. And I, I don't want to like knock, because I like the aggressiveness, that fourth and one call. I do. But going tush-push there, I might have a little bit of a problem with them going tush-push. Terrible tush-push game. And you're doing it with crappy interior offensive linemen. That's my big gripe about it. I don't mind you going for it on fourth and one. Right. But you're doing this with offensive linemen who shouldn't True. be starting offensive linemen. So I, that's what I question about the, the them going for it on fourth and the one. Maybe push. you just take the points there. Freaking tush push. Yeah, I think that's a good point by you. Uh, I want to address something I saw in the chat. Andrew Wilder. I'm, of course, I'm blaming the offensive line. Why do you say let's not blame the offensive line, Andrew? I already said everyone deserves blame. The one thing I'm not doing, which I know you might be doing and others might be doing, is putting no blame on the quarterback. I think that's ludicrous to put no blame on the quarterback. But of course, the offensive line is to blame. I would say the offensive line is most to blame for tonight, if you had to ask me, not the quarterback, even though that can be debated when the quarterback gives up 15 point swing on a pick six that had nothing to do with the offensive line, was him staring down a receiver, Brian Dable yelling at him on the sideline because he missed Brown. Darren Waller and the one thing that really bothered me from earlier that gets kind of pushed on the rug Nick but like it's year five and we had a sack tonight where Daniel Jones didn't identify a pre-snap blitzer and he came free that can't be happening in year five and you could say I don't know what kind of control Daniel Jones has over the pre-snap protection and knowing when to slide and when the but in year five a quarterback needs to have that kind of uh, influence over the pre-snap protection like you can't have free blitzers coming to a quarterback in year five they did that a lot Seattle they identified it. I'm wondering if JMS has much to do with the setting of the protections. And once he got out, they were like, dude, I'm just going to go. Because Ben Bredesen, I think Ben Bredesen is an adequate interior offensive lineman, but he doesn't have that much experience at center. Sure, you could take some snaps in training camp, but that's not necessarily who he is. And now you're putting him there. And if he sure. was in charge of the protections, which I'm not 100% certain of, that's a lot to ask from him especially a guy who's just coming back from a concussion injury. But then why isn't it that my thing is like Daniel Jones is supposed to be a cerebral quarterback. He went to Duke, right? Why it's year five. He should be calling out the protections. I see all the best quarterbacks in the NFL identifying pre-snap uh, protection, understanding where the blitzes are coming from, understanding if you're going to have a free blitzer and sliding protection. That's what Peyton Manning did. That's what Drew Brees did. That's what all the quarterbacks who win Super Bowls do. Why is that on the center? That can't be to me. That can't be on the center for a year five quarterback who's supposed to be the cerebral guy. And that's my question. Like when I saw that free blitzer come free and for the sack, I was like, are we kidding? It's year five, man. I believe I heard in an interview view that they wanted Daniel Jones focus more on the what what he's looking oh, at from a passing passing standpoint okay. and they were going to have John Feliciano last year deal with the sure. protections. I'm not 100% certain how that breaks Makes down sense. now. Yeah. But either way, they were coming from everywhere tonight. Yep. It was five man rushes quite often and they were always getting home and they were twisting a lot and they were using creepers and they were using simulated pressures just getting after Daniel Jones, getting after these offensive linemen. None of those offensive linemen seemed like they understood how to 
perfect framing a block, like actually staying yeah. in front. Some a lot of lunging out there. Evan Neal looked bad. I am not looking forward to seeing the all 22 of Evan Neal or really any of the offensive linemen because there's no bright spot. The only bright spot on offense that I could take away is Wandale Robinson because I think he looks just like he looked last season. And the way the New York Giants play offense, as much as you and I don't like it, and for whatever reason that they are executing this type of offense, Wandale Robinson fits into that perfectly. That's the receiver the New York Giants want. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show. 
a name for a show. And then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company and then found us and this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of Blue Wire. If you would like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash Blue Wire. And remember, supporting Blue Wire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. There are few things better in the world than kicking back, watching some football, and biting into some delicious Little Caesars pizza. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Old world pepperoni, pepperoni, extra cheese, Italian sausage, olives, onions, pineapple if you're into that. Put it on half the pie, the entire pie. There are so many other options that I don't have time to name. Slap that on a round crust, a thin crust, a stuffed crust, a Detroit-style deep dish. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. I enjoy sports. I enjoy comedy shows. I enjoy live events. And whenever I need tickets, I use the Game Time app because it is the best, least stressful way to acquire tickets to any live events in your area. I was in Las Vegas a couple months ago, Stanley Cup Final, Game 1. I'm not even a Vegas Golden Knights fan. Didn't matter. I got tickets at a good price and experienced my first Stanley Cup Final. Thanks to Game Time. It's the number one spot for last-minute tickets, flash deals for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, theater, comedy, whatever you can think of. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and rows for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code BANTER for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, Create an account and redeem code BANTER for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Right. He's a Wandell Robinson, somebody who can make you miss, somebody who is reliable, doesn't have the biggest catch radius, but just get the football. I'm hoping his role will expand. It was encouraging tonight. But other than that, man, like, what the hell was the Giants doing with Darren Waller? You added this guy and, and you you didn't use him at all. He didn't even look his way. It was almost like he was non-existent in this game. And I was encouraged. We both picked Seattle to win this football game, Dan. But I had a little bit of encouragement. I went to the gym this morning and I was like, 
I think the Giants are going to come out, and I think they're going to figure it out. They had 11 days. I get the offensive line. Da, 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 da. Don't fall behind. They're going to have a good opening script, which I guess you could say they did. They and did. then some, and somehow they found ways to shoot themselves in the foot. And then once Seattle was like, eh, it's 14 to three, we kind of want you guys back into this football game. They still blew it. And that's just the total opposite of who they were last year. Last year, they seized all the right. opportunities. Now, man, they're just blowing them out their ass. And I knew, like, look, we weren't idiots. We we, we understood that the Giants won a lot of one-score games last year. And, you know, variance works in funny ways. Regression works in funny ways. The expectation was they would maybe lose some of those one-score games. But that's not the issue right now, Nick. These aren't one-score losses. They were blown out tonight at home, 11 days to rest by the Seattle Seahawks against a team that was equally or actually slightly worse than the Giants as a pass defense going into this game. Again, I keep reiterating because it's very important. The Seahawks had a very bad pass defense going into this game. The Giants made them look unbelievable. Why and how? That's what we're trying to figure out, and that's what the film will help us tell. But, you know, I get it. Look, I understand all the things that people are saying when it comes to the defense, uh, or I'm sorry, the offensive line. And I do want to talk a little bit about Wandell because he did look good at the stadium as well. I thought he was doing a good job getting open. I thought he was, and thought the quickness was pretty much exactly what I saw before the injury, which is really impressive for someone coming off an injury. And he can help them for what the Giants can do, which is operate quick game. It's all they can do as a pass offense right now. But I want to talk about what you said, because that goes back to, you know, who do we blame this on? It's not just Daniel Jones. It's not just the offensive line. It's the coaching, too. When you talk about Darren Waller, the giant, it's, I don't understand how my whole life goes by. And I'm watching this team. And I'm studying this team for years. and I'm a fan. And we just have, seem to have so many examples of this where we sign this guy or we trade for this guy. And then he has these like zero for 12 or two catches for 12 yard games. And then two for 24, zero, one. But did he have a catch tonight, Darren Waller? I don't yeah, even know three. if he did. What? Three. He had, three. he had three catches. The most have come in garbage time. And I left the stadium yes. in, the, in the beginning of the fourth. I was disgusted. The minute they they threw that pick six, I, I, I saw one more drive, I think. And then and then even me. And I never leave games early. I never leave games early. And I always beg my brother to stay because he has a tough commute back to the city. And he always would prefer if the game's not close to leave early. And I'm like begging him to stay mostly. Tonight I said, you ready, Matt? Um, I don't want to be here for this anymore. If that pick six it was a disgusting pick six and a disgusting play at that point. I mean, they, like you said, the Seahawks did everything they can to give the Giants a chance to win this football game. And they blew it with stupid mistakes. And I get it what someone said in the chat. Like, how do you expect Daniel Jones to not be panicky and not be kind of like escaping pockets so fast and, you know, making bad decisions when he has this much pressure. But the reality is the best quarterbacks don't, get don't look like that panicky and like i understand like we we can say like he's not on that level yet but it's a, so like here's a good example nick something i i saw a good friend of mine who i used to live with uh live around and grew up with in west orange he's a diehard 49ers fan before the game he came to the tailgate we hung out we reminisced and i made the case with my brother two things one that Daniel Jones would look amazing. We were talking Brock Purdy, right? We we're talking Brock Purdy. How much is Purdy? How much is Shanahan? And I made the case that Daniel Jones would look amazing with the 49ers. And I believe that to this day, Nick, I think that Daniel Jones would be better than Brock Purdy is in some ways for the 49ers because of his legs and because of his arm talent. And I think that he would be, you know, just simplified reads for him with, a, with, with Shanahan and so many weapons, right? And we also made the case that and we all agreed with these by the way the jones thing was more hotly debated who would be better for the 49ers jones or purdy but what we all agreed on was if brock purdy was on the giants right now brock purdy would be terrible and probably worse than daniel jones is right now and we all kind of agreed with that and it just shows 
how much of this is also on the supporting cast, which is why, like I said earlier, I'm not trying to levy all this blame on Daniel Jones. But tonight, it does. It, it definitely deserves more blame when you give up 14 points on your own as a quarterback. JCNYC, thank you so much. He asks, is Wandale Robinson balling? If Wandale Robinson is balling, why throw it to Paris Campbell? I think they just have different roles in this offense, yeah. even though they have similar type of skill sets. I'm hoping that that Wandale Robinson just kind of eats into Paris Campbell's role a little bit. Because Paris Campbell, look, I don't know if they're using him optimally, but the way they're using him, it's not exciting, Dan. Like he's just running to the flat, catching an out route, and then just getting tackled right away because the way defenses are playing the New York Giants. I think Paris Campbell has some downfield ability. So I would rather see Wando Robinson run those routes because I think Wando Robinson has a lot more shakes than a guy like Paris Campbell in space. So I'm hoping that Wandale's snap percentage, I don't have his snap percentage in front of me. It seemed like he played a decent amount of snaps in this game. I think it's going to increase. But Paris Campbell, they just like having him as that quick out route guy and that quick quick flat and slide player. But the Giants don't even really run that much play action slide. At anymore. least I haven't seen it. They tried running boot and Jones almost got can't run boot anymore. They can't run boot anymore. The book is out on the Giants boot. It's done. It's over. There's no more running it. If you every time you run it and and shout out do a barrel roll because he he tweeted this at me in the game because I was like at some point I'm like they really can't afford to just like the first drive of the second half Nick they went into pure shotgun pass mode and it was a horrific three and out and I was like if we keep doing this, we're not going to move the ball. We have to have some semblance of a run game so we can set up the play action shots like we saw against the Cardinals that led to that comeback. And do a barrel is like, honestly, dude, like if you look, if you think about it, that doesn't, that can't even work anymore, those play action deep shots, because how are you going to stop the defense from screaming around the edge at the quarterback off of play action? Because you know they don't, and, and he didn't editorialize this, but I am, you know, they're not respecting the deep pass. So that means they have extra pass rushers they can just send to kill your play action. And so nothing has time to get set up down the field off of deep play action shots from under center. So it's like led me to the point, Nick, where I don't, I don't exactly know what the solution is. The, this was the get right game. Seattle's pass defense was the get right game. Yeah. It, 11 days to prepare. You are at home. Your defense gave you every ch chance to stay ahead of the sticks and be playing from good game script. You ruined the game script on your own as an offense, but they gave you everything they could give you from a game script standpoint. And this was the third worst pass defense by DBI. I'm saying it for the, or by EPA for the third time because it deserves to be repeated. And you need to understand that this was the get right game for the pass offense. If you can't get right against this pass defense, how do you get right at all? Most of the explosive plays the Giants created last year were all off the play action. And if you can't do the play action rollouts because defenses are keyed in on you, then you're screwed. You're not going to be able to throw it deep because they rarely ever throw it the deep just from staying in the pocket or just from traditional passing plays it's always off of play action and the giants just became way too one-dimensional early in this game and when they get one-dimensional they're terrible because the offensive line can't block anybody so they just send the pressure and the giants can't account for it and the giants don't adjust to it and daniel jones is just getting his ass kicked back there and i'm sitting there like a fool in front of the television being like next drive next drive they'll They'll mount something. They'll figure something out, and they never freaking do. And that's just the story of the 2023 Giants, bro. It's just um, mediocre at best. And on offense, it's just been an absolute tire fire. And I want to just put this up here. Thank you so much, Jay Ferris. Is that how you think I would say that, or am I getting that incorrect? Jay Ferris. I appreciate that, Jay Ferris. Thank you for thank you for supporting the show. Thank um, you, man. We really do appreciate that. Um, and yeah, Nick, it's look, things are going to get better. It's a long season. The Andrew Thomas will return. That will help a lot. Hopefully, John Michael Smith. It's not a long absence. That will help Jeez. a lot. That would. <laughs> that's. The fact that Shane Lemieux was playing in this game over Mark Lewinsky. Stop. 
Yeah. I just, it's insane. It's insane to me. And I know that Glinsky sucks too, but nothing is worse than Shane Lemieux and pass protection. Was that did you hear, soundboard? Did you hear that? Yeah. Was that- so I'm toying with a new soundboard. So, so, so every time you say something within the context, I'm going to try to work it in and I'm going to add like more that. to it. Yeah. It's a good so you brought Adam up Mark, used, Mark Adam used it really well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I like it's it. childish. But at this point of the season, with how just depressing the New York Giants are, I think levity needs to be brought in to our podcast. So soundboard it is. Unfortunately, that is correct. Um, but look, it's going to get better. Like the season's not technically over, even though they're going to have to pull off one of the, what are you laughing at? Just your comment there, trying to rationalize how this is. Like, you're not wrong, but the Giants have a murderous row. So they would really need to get their ducks in a row. You're going to Miami, then you're going to Buffalo, and then what? You have Washington, and then the Jets. Philadelphia twice, Jets, the Patriots, who you should be able to beat. But at this point, I'm like, I don't know what the hell is happening. Giants shouldn't be able to beat anyone. We're going to. We're. Yeah, exactly. They're they're a bottom three. If you teams think Daniel really Jones is moving the ball against Bill Belichick this year? You're I don't care who just got injured, Matthew Judon and whoever else they lost. There is no chance in hell that Bill Belichick is giving up yards to a, a quarterback who doesn't throw downfield. Let's let's look at this for a second, Dan. The Giants right now are a bottom three team in the league. Unfortunately, is it the, is it the Bears, Broncos, and Giants? It's the Bears and Broncos, and there's another. I'm not going to say the Cardinals. Game. I know we beat no, the Cardinals. Well, we but beat I'm the not Cardinals. And then they turned around and beat Dallas, the team that whooped the sh out of us. And I get that they're different, you know, situations and and everything and all like that. But I don't know, man. I mean, they could be better. Like I think on paper they are, but they're not playing like that right now. Like this is a, a zero percentile outcome. Like this is the stone worst outcome for the New York Giants right now. If they didn't just assemble a second half in Arizona, I guess it would be the stone worst. But it's right down there, dude. This is this is bad. It is, and it's crazy that. It's happening now after they put together last season. We thought they had a coaching edge every week. We haven't seen that really. And they put a lot of resources into approving this team for 2023. Bobby Okereke, trade for Darren Waller, drafting John Michael Schmitz, uh, you know, and that's a draft pick, but whatever, trying to improve it there. Um, Ashawn Robinson. <laughs> I mean, I watched the tape today, Nick, because I want we for Beyond the Box score, we were trying to figure out what happened with Travis Etienne. I watched a tape of, tape of Calais Campbell. To me, it's like that dude is still 30, the way he was playing in that game. Calais Campbell cost them $7.5 million on a one-year deal. That's a mistake by Shane, as far as I'm concerned, because Calais Campbell is a much better player than Ashawn Robinson is. He's always I been think- a better player, and even at his advanced age, he still is. You think what? Calais wanted to play for the Falcons. That's probably true, because he took a— I think he said he wanted— he wanted to play for the Falcons. Yeah, maybe it's his hometown or whatever. He's from Georgia or like has some roots to Georgia. But like he I watched the Campbell take over that game. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Now he's a stud. Joe Schmo 84. Thank you so much. He says, I appreciate you guys looking forward to the breakdowns. And also Subo 23 says <laughs> it can always get worse. Quotations, Eli Manning. Yes, that you're right. Funny. That's a great Eli quote, by the way. It's it's an amazing Eli quote, and it's very apropos because it could realistically get worse even though it feels like we're down at the bottom of the barrel right now dan hey yeah it, it the tough spot is though like they've they've really went all, in a lot of ways all in for this current group and mm. and that's what makes it really difficult for us if they don't turn this thing around this season and at least get to like you know a fighter's chance at the wild card the last wild card spot nick it's a t- they're in a really bad spot like if, especially if they land in that awkward draft position of like nine through twelve or like uh. seven through ten type of range it's an awkward spot. 
Like it's 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 a very interesting spot that they're in. They also, like I said earlier on this pod, they restructured Jones, they restructured Thomas, they restructured Dex. The latter two, I'm not as concerned about. Obviously, the former one, we'll have to see what happens there. But like, you know, in some ways, Nick, like if the Giants were able to get Daniel Jones a great offensive line and weapons, we all know he would do well. It's obvious. But you know how hard that may be to do in the NFL where offensive linemen take a long time to develop and you don't always hit on them, even if you use a high draft pick. See, Evan Neal, seventh overall pick, hasn't even been able to contribute yet for the Giants in a positive way. And in an NFL salary cap system where, yeah, the 49ers have it great, but guess what? They pay Brock Purdy 700K against the cap. That's 40 million extra cap space they have to use. (laughs) You know how many players you get for that? Well, that's that's the crux of the argument, right? Is Daniel Jones isn't on his rookie deal anymore. You're paying this man. So how much time do you realistically have? Because if it continues like this, the Giants are going to look to get out of that contract and just blow it up and rebuild. But they can't there's a, until the earliest 2025. Exactly. They can't. And that that's that's an issue because you can win with Daniel Jones, right? Like they proved that last season, but now can you adjust and can you adapt and can you right. find a different way to totally. allow Daniel Jones to have success and push that's this it. offense down the field? And that's going to be on coaching, but it's also going to be on Daniel Jones. Maybe Daniel Jones making some of those more uncomfortable throws. Because again, I he has the arm talent to do it. It's not a physical limitation. Not a physical thing with Jones. It's not a physical. It's what's going on between the years. So it's just putting that together to maximize the potential of this offense. And that's just something that we haven't seen yet. But the potential last year or what we saw last year was enough to win a playoff game. So we know that there's capability there. Yep. And, and as, and as you know, you, you know, Devin Witherspoon said after the game, uh, that the corner who'd pick sixed it and you said at times, and we've discussed at times, a big issue is, can he start to make plays, you know, away from the, can he make plays reads away from the play side? That's the biggest thing for me with Jones. Can he start consistently making some reads away from the play side? Cause otherwise teams are just going to lock in like Devin Witherspoon did to that first or second read and they're going to drive on the football because they have no reason not to. And we're going to see more pick sixes. We almost had another pick six before half on that two-minute yeah. drill. And what would have happened then if we threw two pick sixes in a game? And the final score was 31-3. to three, And 21 of those points came off of pick sixes and fumbles in your own thing. Like, it's just the processing to me, Nick, it's the biggest question with Jones. It always has been the biggest question with Jones. He's a good, you know, as somebody said to me in my DMs earlier today after the game, like, Jones is like that guy who, you know, let me see how he's at it. It's a, it, he said, Oh, you're showing the passing chart. That's really bad. I don't know if I want to see that passing chart again. It was, yeah, it was the, very, it's just, it's unique to me because it's all to either left or the right. And there's really nothing over the middle of the field. A lot of that is probably because Jones was running a lot to one side and the pocket was far from secure, but I just wanted to kind of bring this up as we talk, incorporate other statistics into the show, but you find yeah, a tweet. It, um, yeah, I did find the tweet. So he said, uh, you know, cause we were talking, I was, I was quote tweeting, um, David Syverson's report on Jones for 2019 his pre-draft scouting report, which basically nailed Jones to a T I've, I've discussed this in the past and I brought it up. Shout out side. That was a great evaluation by you. Um, and, 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 and my friend texted uh, tweeted at me. He also works for, you know, he's a football writer as well and an analyst. And he said, I love how, you know, he, you guys described it in that tweet. He Jones is like a great test taker who just can't answer the open-ended question. And I think that's a great way to really describe Jones. He can understand what you want to do pre-snap. He can try to find the solution that's supposed to be there after the snap, but when it's not there, can he 
open? Can he do something open-ended? Can he find something on the backside read? Like there was a play tonight where Geno Smith looked on his play side. It wasn't there. And he came off to the backside crosser. And I was like, God damn, man. Like, I don't see that ever from Daniel Jones. I see it like once a year from Daniel Jones. And that was including last year when the O-line was better. And that's why I have the issues when people just say, throw everything out from an evaluation sample when it comes to quarterback. If the offensive line is playing that bad, you simply can't evaluate them. Because they're not seeming to remember last year when the O-line played better or the Arizona game where the O-line played fine. And, and, you know, and, and obviously had a good second half, but not a good first half in that one. But even times last year where when the O-line was good, you have to learn to evaluate the quarterback outside of the offensive line in some degree. There has to be some level of evaluation. Yeah. Like, it can't just be only offensive line. It's just, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And I feel like we do that on this show. DJ has some limitations, and we're going to go through that on the film. So please tune into the All-22 offensive and defensive podcast that we have. Dan, you want to talk about some positives? Yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe, maybe throw them out there a little bit. So yeah. on the defensive side of the football, two players I want to highlight. Kayvon Thibodeau had the two sacks, same move. But Bobby Okereke actually had some TFLs, man. Yes. And he looked instinctive. And I'm wondering if it's because he played zone teams that don't have immense talent like the 49ers. Because he was in the backfield quick. And uh, I almost shit myself on that TFL to Kenneth Walker though, because oh my God, we're talking about an inch and it, but it doesn't matter. At least we would have had that funny bit that we were like, dude, do you remember like, Oh my God. So 2023 giants. Instead we sat through an entire game being like, Oh, maybe we'll win the football. No. And they had a but chance to win all the way until that pick six. They had a chance to win. That was a 15 point swing. It would have been 15, nine and the giants could have potentially got to 50 or not 15, 14, nine. They could have got to 14, 11. And that was after yeah. so many bad things they had already done, like letting Drew Locke come in fresh with zero reps of the first team offense and just fire his way down the field. Like a joke, an absolute joke that that happened. Uh, but we can't generate any offense all game. And like we spotted him seven points to begin with when we fumbled inside our own 10 after two great defensive possessions. Like, but yeah, back to the positives, Kayvon Thibodeau. I thought from my vantage point up in the stands, uh, Isaiah Simmons had a good game. I thought he was just super active. And we'll have to see if the film checks out with that. But I felt like he was all over the field. He pissed off Geno Smith some. I'll tell you that yeah. much. That was a that was a storyline that y- you noticed because Geno Smith got heated after that tackle, which I did feel like it was a little late, but I mean, mm-hmm. nothing too egregious. But falling on the back of his ankle is... It's tough. It's not Isaiah's yeah. fault. It's just the way it happened. But Geno Smith got mad and he went after Xavier McKinney about it. I don't know if you got to see that because no, I didn't you were see any of fans. that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see any of that from the stands. But all I knew is like we got updates that uh, any f- Jay Paul says any thank you for donating Jay Paul again. Any future live all twenty two breakdowns? Uh, we've never done them live. Uh, maybe maybe at some point, Nick. I don't know. I mean, we could essentially do them live. And that'd be interesting to get people's like comments and feedback during it um, of some of the yeah. breakdowns. It's interesting. It's something we'll consider for sure. Jay Paul, certainly not for this week, <laughs> not for this kind <laughs> of film. Like it's gotta be better than looking than this, but yeah, it's, it's something to consider. It's going to be like the main puppet from team America. That meme of him just puking everywhere. Yeah, that is what this feels like. Yeah, it definitely does. There was like a point in the game after the pick six where my brother just took a shot of us, like a selfie of us. And he tweeted this out and he was like, the caption was just having a great time. And he just loves this picture. He kept looking at it after game and laughing, like the only kind of joy he could find from this. And it was pretty funny. It just like a picture of us so depressed in the, in the stands and like 
trying to put on some kind of smile for our parents because we were sending them the picture and it's just like or you know so my mom just loves anytime we always talk about this when me and my brother go on trips nick like we've done some brother trips we think and we are we know this is for sure if we could set up like a like a gopro camera that was on a, that was facing towards us and on us the entire time my mom would watch back like every minute of that with joy and smile on her face She's just like oh brothers like she loves us hanging out yeah. so she was so excited about us getting to go to a game tonight and then like we were so excited we had a great time at the tailgate the energy was great early on things were going great we thought and then just everything devolved into this and it's just it's crazy that we're back at this point one in three feeling like the season is gone in october just started October was October 3rd and we feel like that season is gone after they put insane. so many resources into trying to win now there's it's, it's fucked there's any positive takeaways man it's just the defense didn't look miserable the defense looked, looked miserable good. on Thursday night football right they looked terrible and they really only gave up 10 points in this game yeah if it wasn't for the Noah Fant play there really isn't and much of those came in garbage time, in my opinion, when they were completely deflated because their quarterback just threw a hundred yard pick six. Like, I don't even care about that. Those three points. I only credit them for giving up seven points. Last year, the defense did this several times. The Giants were down at halftime and the defense would come out and they would force a stop. And then the Giants offense got clicking. The offense just doesn't get clicking now. It's that same formula. Only now the offense sucks for many reasons. Yep. And I think one of them, and the primary reason, not just the offensive line, but even greater than that, is that teams know what the Giants do, as which is the theme of this entire podcast. Yeah, I worried about it all offseason. You did. And unfortunately, it happened. And I didn't think it was going to happen because I predicted they would win games. I thought, I don't know what I thought, Nick. I thought maybe the Giants would adjust to it. And maybe that's something that can happen down the line when they get healthier on the offensive line. And they start yeah. to play better on the offensive line. But there are major question marks that need to be answered from the top down. Um, and we can start with what's going on with Evan Neal. You know, it's not the draft is not easy. I've always said it's a crapshoot. We see tons of great GMs make busts, you know, have bust picks. But Giants weren't in a position to have any busts out of those out of that five and seven spot out of that draft. They were in a position to have to hit, especially after losing their first round pick from the year before when they lost Kadarius Tony. Yeah, after wasting that first round pick, they couldn't afford to miss. So there's GM questions to be answered. There's questions where Brian Dabley answered about Bobby Johnson, about Thomas McGahee, and about why these special teams are so disastrous, and about why the offensive line is so disastrous when other teams are fielding backup offensive lines and finding a way. But we're the only team in the NFL that can't seem to find any semblance of any kind of consistency from the offensive line with our backups. Uh, let's get to another question here from Karee Simpson. Yes, Karee Simpson. I think you or said that comment. correctly, too, we are a bad football team. People hyper fixated on any individual player are clueless. It's I'm probably fair. I'm guessing that's in reference to Daniel Jones, but I wouldn't say, I don't know if that's directed at us, that we're just fixated on Daniel Jones, but he is the quarterback who's making $40 million. <laughs> so if you're not going to say anything about him, then why the hell would you even have a podcast about the New York Giants? <laughs> I'm not sure if that's what this is about. No, I don't think so. But, but I think it is about Daniel Jones in general, probably not yeah. as much about us. Like we've made it clear. He's not the only reason they lost tonight. And he's but not. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. And thank you for donating. It's, it's everyone. Chris makes a good point. Like when a football team is not, it's not baseball, right? Like you can't yeah. have, uh, Whoever, I'm just trying to think of a good example of somebody who's went on like a crazy playoff run as a pitcher, pitching like several complete game shutouts and like leading his team to World Series. That won't happen in football as much, even from a quarterback. Like that doesn't even happen as much at the quarterback position. Um, it's a it's a team game. So you're right, Kareem Simpson. You're correct. But 
everyone does need to be evaluated. And that's what Nick and I do on this podcast. And I know you're not direct. I don't think you're directing that to us anyway. No, no, I don't. Jay Ferris says we missed out on Devonta and ended up with Kadarius. Yeah, it's a good point, you know. Yeah, that was uh I just wanted to say Devonta, didn't you? Devonte Smith would have been great for the Giants, but I don't think he would have helped them that much tonight, to be completely honest with you, Nick. He would have caught some short passes that Wandell and Campbell caught, right? But how does that help? Like, that's the biggest issue with this team. Like, they had Darren Waller. They can't figure out how to get him used. If they had Devontae Smith on this roster, I don't know if that would have helped either. Micah Parsons probably would have helped, but, like, this team needs a lot more. To, like, this is always what I remember last year, Nick, when I just couldn't handle how much blame everyone was putting on the receivers. When you watch the film, it didn't look like that way. When you watch the film, yeah. the route combos were good. When you watch the film, some of these receivers are getting separation that people never gave them credit for. And I always said, like, it doesn't really, like, you can blame the receivers all you want, but if you don't have an offensive line and a quarterback who can get rid of the football and process post-snap and be aware of where people are open, the receivers don't matter. And the receivers are way low on that totem pole. It's quarterback, offensive line, teardrop four times to get to receiver at this point. I mean, sometimes you can have a Jamar Chase and, th and shit like that, but like we just throw the ball up to them. But for the most part, you need protection and you need a quarterback who understands where people are open. What you said earlier was so spot on. I don't know who slid into your DMs and said that, but Daniel Jones, it's like taking yeah, a shout out to Danny Heifetz from the ringer. That was him. I don't think he cares. There there you go, man. It's just can't answer the open-ended question. He'll ace the test, but once it gets to that open-ended question, he's not going to do that well. And that's Daniel Jones because he can stay within, he can play well within yep. the structure of the offense and what they're asking him to do. But once shit hits the fan, he can extemporize and extend plays with his legs. Does an excellent job at that. But in terms of being like, oh, it's cover four. I know that the backside dig right. is going to be open if the guy take the post. Let me hit that. That's not Daniel Jones's game. And we have about five years of tape to substantiate that. And at some point, you just can't simply shrug your shoulders and say, none of those five years matter. It's all the offensive line's fault, or it's all Garrett's fault, or it's all Judge's fault. Like at some point, you have to look at the quarterback and you have to ask yourself, why can't he throw a backside dig ever? Why is everything on the play side? Why are we never seeing anything on the backside of routes? Why, when he's running downfield in five years, have, when he's scrambling, have we never seen a bomb off a scramble? Have we ever seen anything break open downfield off a scramble? No. And as my brother said tonight, and I thought he made a great observation, Jones was quick. This I thought me and him felt like there were two plays where Jones should have reset the pocket instead of immediately escape. Whatever, I get it. He's had pressure all year. The O-line sucked. He's getting, he, this is what he's, you know, had to... Uh, um, had to turn to. That's fine. But when he escapes, dude, my brother made this point. I think it's right. I'm curious to get your take on this, Nick. When he escapes the pocket on those scramble plays where he's just rolling right away from the pressure, he, my brother thinks, and I think he's right about this. He's oh, and it, and you could see it from the stands better. He's uh, even better than the all twenty-two. Some I feel like the stands view, Nick, is even different than the all twenty-two view. You see the whole field. You don't yeah. get cut off ever. You see everything. And when he's on these scrambles, Nick. He's, oh, it, fe it feels to my brother, and I kind of agree with him, that he's always looking toward the sticks. He's always looking toward the routes that are at the sticks. Why have we gone five years and never seen a bomb downfield off a scramble? It's, a, it's something to ask yourself. Why do we never see bomb TDs where a Giants receiver walks one in? It's something to ask yourself. We haven't had any of those in five years. It's a long sample size. I understand there are factors involved here, but at some point, that's a big sample size to have zero 
of these. And someone will say, I swear to God, I can't wait to have somebody show up in my DMs or whatever in this chat saying, here's an example of it. Sure, you can maybe find one or two that I missed over the five years. But for the most part, it seems like on those scramble plays, Nick, he's looking toward the sticks always. and His eyes are not downfield. I felt like the biggest difference for Jones tonight was he wasn't keeping his eyes downfield. And I get it. The pressure was horrible. And that's part of the reason. But at some point, we need something downfield. I agree. There was one play. I don't I don't have the timestamp on it, but Wandale Robinson was downfield between a cover two safety who was cleared out by a post on the other side and then a route that was like a quick curl from the number one or something. It was just chilling at the sticks. And Wanda Robinson was jumping up and down, throw the football, throw the football. Jones rolled his way, but it, the football wasn't thrown. And that's kind of to your point, right? And that's something that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier. If there's a route over top of another route, Jones's eyes are going to go to that underneath route. He's not going to look to that other one. He's not going to even sometimes be like, if it's, if it's more than 20 yards, the cornerback who was responsible for that area sunk. Let me throw that football. I feel like it takes him a little bit too long to process the fact that that right. guy is open for an NFL quarterback standards, of course. But Kev Ken 60, thank you so much for the donation, stated, I threw my remote <laughs> before Dave's threw his tablet. Oh, I see you play hockey. You have a little hockey. Do you do you play? I had a six-point game last week, by the way. Six points. Nice. That's a lot, man. Hockey. That is a oh, lot yeah. of points. I don't even know. Right. I think points, you get, what, one for an assist, two for a goal? No, you just get one for a goal, one for an assist. I had three assists ah. and three goals at a hat trick, and I scored two goals in the final two minutes and 30 seconds nice. to win the game. That yeah, yeah, it was a crazy nice. moment. That's fucking awesome. That's a cool yeah, sport. It was a crazy moment. moment. I don't think I agree with the system, though. I think goals should be worth more than assists, but that's somebody coming from somebody who has no idea about hockey. And It's just like a way to calculate it all, like because points, like assists set up those goals, and sometimes it's like I could just be chilling in front of the net, and then my teammate does everything, throws the puck at the net, and then I just – tap it in like an asshole and it's assist points it's just like another way to aggregate it all but i was just using not that like setup. that in fantasy it's not like that in fantasy if that's what you're. i was just using that setup to get to a joke nick i was gonna say uh i don't know why the points in, I'm sorry. yeah it's okay it's okay i'll, I'll still try to deliver it right say, here say. I was gonna say, this is an old school joke for old school listeners of big blue banter you might get this reference but i was gonna say uh, you know, I don't know why goals and assists are both worth one point, uh, but I, this is coming from someone who has no idea about hockey because, you know, I never took the advice when I was told to stop covering football and to go start covering hockey from our boy. But, you know, I did. it is what it is. And look, I understand. Here's, yeah, give me that. <laughs> look, for those listening now and who've heard us say countless times already that we both, we all agree this is not all on Jones, but yet we spent 80% of this podcast talking about Jones. There's a reason for that, right? The reason is, He's your 40, he's your 40 million dollar per year quarterback. And he's everything to this franchise. They've invested in him. They've deferred cap hits on him. He is literally everything. If he, that's why he gets 80% of the discussion. So don't worry about us focusing on that. I get it. He doesn't deserve 80% of the blame for this game, but, and I agree with you, but he needs all the discussion because this is where we go. We live and die with Daniel Jones. They're not going to have the resources. They're not going to have the time. And they're not going to have the cap space to put a 49ers team around him. They can't find the 49ers O-line in the next two years. They can't find a slew of McCaffrey, Ayuk, Kittle, Debo, whatever the hell they're, right? They're not going to have even Kyle Shanahan, who quite frankly is a better coach than Brian Dable. And I love Brian Dable, but he's not Shanahan level, right? No one is. And it is funny, Nick, by the way, because you're going to see this this offseason. The best offenses right now in yards after the catch, and uh, and 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 uh, and and separation. Let me guess. Are, Let me guess. It's going to be all the Shanahan tree, right? It's all the Shanahan tree, dude. It's Dolphins, 49ers, and Texans. Texans that, too. Yeah, slow it, dude. It came over. 
And everyone's so surprised by this Texans dominance tonight this year. And I am too. They've had just as many injuries on the O-line as the Giants. Newsflash. They've had just as many injuries, and yet they're throwing for 300 yards a game passing. But Slowick is there, and I think he's doing a great job with C.J. Stroud. And that system, dude, just has guys running open. Even the Seahawks, don't they have some wrinkles from that system? Isn't Shane Waldron from McVay, who's also from that system? I believe That's so. Right. Yeah, Waldron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And McVay, look at what Stafford's doing without Cooper Cup and with a horrific offensive line. The, the Rams offensive line, I know it's playing better than people expected, but it's not like there's any names on that old line, and they were not expected to be good, um, the St. Louis, uh, the Los Angeles Rams old line. So, yeah, man. Uh I don't know. Again, look, we spend a lot of time on Daniel Jones. We have to. He's everything to this franchise, and they're not going to have time to put a 49ers team around him, so he has to elevate his own game, and I get it. It's tough. Quick thoughts before we get out of here. Micah McFadden looked solid again, yeah. forcing, a, forcing a PBU on a bad throw to the flat from Geno Smith. I felt like Cordell Flott had that really nice open field tackle. Saw another terrible Jason Pinnock missed tackle, so I, I want to I dive into Jason Pinnock, look at his tape a little bit uh, more closely. Uh, other than that, on the defensive side of the football, the defensive line looks fine. And this is the main one I wanted to bring. I want to bring this up a while ago. Aziz Ojolari is very important to this defense. And on that first drive, just watching him explode out of his stance. And I know he's going up against a backup tackle. I'm just like, holy like Aziz Ojolari is so explosive. Yeah, like the Giants don't have anybody else that's nearly as explosive. And I love Kayvon. And Kayvon has a quick first step. But Aziz is shot out of a cannon. More so than he was even in his rookie season. If that yes. guy stays healthy with him and Kayvon Thibodeau coming off the edge, that's going to force. If they want to use speed rushes around the around the top of the arc, that's going to force the quarterback to step up in the pocket where you have Dex and you have Leo. And that's right. that's why you and I were so excited about the pass rush heading into this season. Correct. So I, I just hope that he can stay healthy. And this is a short week, so I'm sure his, his reps will be managed here. And I think he's critical to this defense. Yeah, it was a great take by you and and shout out, knock on wood, but shout out to all my haters and the DMs this week or the replies this week who are like, he's going to be injured by the third quarter. I think he got out of this one healthy. So I really am hoping Aziz Ojolari plays the rest of the season without any injuries because I find injury predictors to be among the worst. And I don't want to say worse. Everybody, you know, we all have flaws and pros and cons as human beings. We all have our faults, but I just hate the idea that like people are like, this guy's definitely going to get injured. Like you don't know that. And why are you wishing? And why are you like, what's the point? What do you gain from that? So I hope Aziz does what he's, because like you said, we'll see it on the film review, but he looked good tonight. I thought, um, and so did the, I thought the entire D line looked good. Like Kayvon to me, we had some questions about just weird looking film from last week. And I feel like he was, he was explosive focused and, active tonight uh and again like giants defense took a big step forward tonight that's the positive takeaway tonight like considering what they put on tape all year they were what they were the fourth worst team overall in defense vpa going into this game they didn't look like the fourth worst defense tonight and that was despite the offense consistently going three and out putting them in horrible positions with turnovers and shit like that and so the defense responded in the big way i thought like I was worried about the defense going into this game and defense and wink got them together fast. And I think we're going to see a better defense the rest of the season. Now it may not start next week against Tua. We'll see what happens there because that offense is good at generating offense, but I feel like we took a big step on defense. We just have to figure out how to get this offense on track. Giants got to eliminate the middle of the field. Just eliminate the middle of the field. Oh, for Tua, don't allow, yeah. yeah. Don't allow Tua to throw those dig routes to Waddle and, and Hill, man, force him yeah. to throw outside the numbers. But you know what sucks, though, by the way? What's up, Just from man? watching do- two two weeks in a row Dolphins film for Beyond the Box Score, they're finding really fun ways, pin-pull concepts to get to get Devin A-Chain and, uh, and mostly 
A-Chain, but Mo- A-Chain, A-Chan, actually. By the way, he wants to be called A-Chan. I don't know if you saw that tweet. So I did. we'll try to get that on board. It's always hard to do when you call somebody by their name. But they had some really, really fun-looking and interesting pinpool concepts with A-Chan. And that, you know the Giants are getting effed on those next week. Like, there's no way we've come far enough as a run defense to no. stop those plays. Like, that's going to kill us, and we know that's going to happen. I don't even know how the Giants are going to game. I'm so intrigued to know how the Giants game plan again. Good point. Yeah. On the defensive Against side that of the offense, right. Because we know Wink Martindale, he has the pressure, breaks pipes, like all that. Yeah, get it. He won't do it all the time. And I right. wonder if this is a drop eight type of game. With, with Tua has such a quick release, and, the, and those balls are out so fast. out so fast. So I'm interested to see how the um, Giants handle that. And that's the other thing when it comes to quarterback play. Like, you just have to think about, like, why are some teams able to get rid of the ball so fast while the Giants seem to never be able to get the ball out fast for whatever reason, unless it's that quick game stuff that the teams are now driving on. Like, Tua gets the ball out so freaking fast, man. I, I want to say this, too, and it might just be because the offensive line was so bad. But everything was to the outside. The everything. Giants had like no concept. Nothing in the middle. What was going in on middle. in the middle of the field? It's crazy. Nothing. So like maybe maybe there's something to do there. Because, you know, the Dolphins are completely different. Everything is to the middle of the field, when, especially when they throw deep. We have a couple things in here before we get out. Yeah. Gerardo. Oh, man. I'm just butchering this. Gerardo. Gerardo. Is it, is it going to be a hard J like that? Oh, I'm not sure. But thank you know. so much. This is for the great and oh, instructive game analysis you two do. Thank Appreciate you. Well, that. No, we thank you. And then we have LL Cool John. LL Cool John. As a season ticket holder, I think I want yeah. to just stay home. Hey, man. Well, that was I'm not a, a thing tonight. Yeah, yeah go man. ahead, Nick. I was like, going to say, brother I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> he said, go ahead. And then he just, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I'm not a season ticket holder, but I would sell my shit. Like if, if. If that's the case, if they're going to get the, anything for it, you're not going to get anything yeah. for it. My brother's like, what am I going to get 50 bucks back? Like my brother's like, yeah. this is bad for you, Dan. And th- we had this whole bad off conversation. Cause to me, this is the worst when we have to go negative, Nick, I hate that. I, I just, I hate breaking down bad film. That's bad to me too. And that's a grind, but I hate going negative. And I just feel like it's such a bad direction to go, but it, what are you going to do? You have to call it objectively. You can't just sit here and be like, everything's fine. They're one in three, but it's going to be great. We're going to make the playoffs and win eight games in a row. And he's like, this is very bad for you on a day-to-day basis, but it's bad for me too, as a season ticket holder, because the tickets have been transferred over to my brother um, and my brother pays for them. And he's like, it's bad for me. I'm not going to be able to sell the games. I don't want to go to these games back to back. It's a freaking schlep to get here from the city for and, and have these horrible rides home. And like, for what to come here and watch the team, go down 21 to three, you know, a must win game. Like, and I get that too. And so shout out to you, uh, LL Cool John, because I, I don't blame you for not wanting to go to these games. This is not a product that we want to see on the field. And it's, it's, it's disappointing for sure. Maybe we'll get a medium Pepsi soon though. Yeah. <laughs> my brother actually said tonight, like I never, uh, I never, I never cashed in my medium Pepsi from last year. I wonder if I still have it as a, as a funny joke. Um, and look, Jay Farry said, Dan gets super negative. I guess you can call this negative, but like, I'm just, I feel like I'm just calling it like it is. Um, you can call it negative, I guess. I, I I just don't see it that way, and I never will. Um, another hey, positive. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. I was just going to ask Jay Ferris. Are you sure? <laughs> okay, it's going to get annoying at some point, but I'm going to no, incorporate like it. it. Adam Adams it. figured out a way to use it really well on fantasy football today, so I think you're going to get you're 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 even more clever than he is. So I think you'll get to that point. <laughs> I of, love of, the of, random of, random digs at Adam. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. He's not going to listen to this, but I had to throw that in there. Um, I had one more. I had another positive that I'm not. That was so hard to remember the positives from this game, but I had another positive that I was going to build off of that. I'm trying to remember now. Offense or defense? Do you do you remember? Obvious, that? definitely defense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. 
the defense. <laughs> Definitely defense, but nah, I'm blanking on it now. We'll, we'll, we'll Wasn't Cordell Flott coming in? And uh, it actually- was Cordell Flott. Yes, oh. Cordell Flott early in the game. Giants were faced with a really big spot where he had to make an open field tackle. We've been struggling with open field tackles. They've been deciding games for us, like the 49ers game, and he made a really good open field tackle, and I thought that was a really big positive. I'm excited to just watch his tape because if they can move forward with him as the starting uh, nickel guy, I think they're going to be in a better spot. Yeah, that was on that second down play, I think. It was like a bubble, and he was wide open if Flott doesn't make that tackle. And honestly, Flott has missed that tackle quite a few times in his early career. And then the next play, I think was the DK Metcalf one where he stepped out of bounds like a dope and didn't get a, and luckily they called it, but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. The giants ended up getting their ass kicked anyways. Yep. Without a doubt. All right. We vented, we came, we saw, we didn't conquer anything though. That's unfortunate, but there's more games to be had. I I really do think the giants are not going to be like total what you said earlier. And I don't think you think this is going to happen, but where they're at now, which is like in discussion for worse than the NFL. I don't think it's going to happen like that. Cause I think the defense took a big step in this game and we'll see better defense the rest of the way. I think the offense will be better with Andrew Thomas and Barkley back, but you know, Nick, we're going to have some tough conversations coming up. If the giants lose to the, to the dolphins and the bills, Nick, in all reality, from a logical standpoint, it makes sense to trade Saquon Barkley. He's an impending free agent. They already made the decision that they're probably not leaning on resigning him long-term. Then he got injured again. If you're one in six, the reality is, objectively speaking, you should probably move Saquon Barkley for a pick, for a draft pick. Same right. probably goes for Leonard Williams. And those are the tough conversations we're going to have to have if they lose these next two games. And I'm not looking forward to those conversations because those are conversations that get people shooting at me in my DMs and replies oh, like yeah. they did tonight. Brah, 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 brah. That's how I envisioned them, these people who can't look at the team objectively and just hate any quote-unquote negativity, which is in reality just objectivity and just two eyes looking at something. Like I just don't know how to call that positively. So I hope we don't go in that direction, Nick. Maybe we can get an upset against the Dolphins or Bills. It seems comical at this point. But you never know. Football's a weird freaking game. The Jets almost beat the Chiefs last night. And Zach Wilson had a career day out of nowhere. Like, who could have seen that coming besides Vegas, who moved the line from nine and a half to seven and a half and somehow toward the Jets' favor, which obviously I'm an idiot and I bet the Chiefs minus seven and a half, uh, most obviously too good to see spread in the history of spreads. Uh, and the I mean, Jets you somehow- really should have got it. Pat Mahomes decided to go down at the two yard line. That's yeah. not your fault. I know, but Vegas always knows, man. Like, I just don't know how they, they do. knew that one. Like, why was the line moving toward the Jets? Like, it's just crazy to me that the Jets were even in that game down 17 nothing with Zach Wilson at quarterback. But, you know, crazy things happen in the NFL. Maybe the Giants can come out inspired, but it's bad time right now. And, <laughs> and we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back. We'll have offensive and defensive film breakdowns this week. Um, and... You know, obviously, we're going to preview the next opponent, the Miami Dolphins. We're going to try to find someone cool. And it's funny, Nick. I, I wanted to bring this up before we left. This has been a long one, though. Um, it's 2 a.m. almost here on the East Coast. But we talked with Matty Brown, who covers the Seahawks and does a really good job breaking down their X's and O's in their film. And he's like, I have a spot. For, he didn't say it, but he basically said, I have a spot for you guys that you can take advantage of. Bobby Wagner is not the same athlete he was. You can beat him in coverage. You can get that. The Seahawks have to do different things in coverage because he's on the field all the time. We didn't do that at all. Like we didn't take advantage at all of that middle of the field, like you said, where Bobby Wagner rests and where he, where you know, where he's at. And it's just wild to me that that wasn't part of the game plan, I guess, or just I guess they just weren't capable of doing it for whatever reason. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see on the tape, and then we'll yeah. we'll be back shortly to to talk about it. Unfortunately. Yep. Hopefully things get better. They will. Uh, look, like uh, 
<laughs> like, well, Eli Manning always says it could get worse, but, um, you know, things will get better, I think, for this team. I don't think this, like I said, I really don't think, Nick, this is a bottom barrel team, but, you know, I've been, I've been wrong before. Unfortunately, you're right, man. And what did we say before the season? This isn't the AFC South they're playing. They're playing the AFC right. East. It's going to be a lot more difficult. They haven't even played an AFC East opponent yet, have they? Nope. No. Now we're getting two in a row. Yes, it's ugh. it's rough, bud. Yep. All right. We'll be back, hopefully, with more positive stuff to take away. But we'll always deliver the regular stuff and the objective stuff that we see. That's what you come for. Have a good rest of your night. Thank you for coming to vent with us. I loved watching the chat tonight uh, as it grew. Uh, from 200 people to over 300 in the middle of it. So you stuck with us for almost for over an hour, and we appreciate that. We also appreciate everyone who donated tonight to the podcast. For those who have reached out to me during the week, and I'm not sure if they reached out to you, Nick, some people have been asked, uh, where can I donate? Uh, we don't have a Patreon set up currently. A as it stands, the only way to really donate to the pod if you want to would be to jump on these live sessions. I you might be listening to a recorded version now on the podcast, but to jump on these live sessions in the YouTube and then use the super chat. And then obviously anyone who donates will answer your question or just read your venting or your comments because that's where we're at right now with this giant season at one and three. Uh, have a good night. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.